We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy, Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today, we have my podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang, the one and only, Adam Taylor. Adam, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm good. I scrambled to get that music ready then. I scrambled so hard. I saw the panic in your eye and I tried to elongate my sentences as much as I could because as this has become our new running gimmick when we intro you to the show, I, I saw you scrambling to get it done. So this is this is us working in tandem right now where we don't even need to communicate, Adam. We just we just look at each other's eyes and we know to make a cut, we know when to screen, we know when to roll, we know when to elongate our words so we can get our gimmicks done. How you doing today though, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'd be better if my dog wasn't snoring everywhere. I'm trying to like <laughs> nudge him to wake him back up. Other than that, I'm living, man. It's been a sunny out here for the last few days. I'm living that Austin, Texas, that Fl- um, Florida life where you know you wake up, it's sunny. You look That's out right. the window in the evening, it's sunny. I haven't there seen a cloud in about a week. Well, we like a, we like a cheerful Adam Taylor here uh, on the show for us today. But speaking of Florida, that leads us directly into our special guest that we have joining us today. From Spot Track and now officially, formally of Celtics blog, it's our guy, the one and only Keith Smith. How you doing, Keith? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How uh, so? How does it feel now that you've officially made the transition from you know off of uh, off of Celtics blog? I don't know if we need to have an official retirement party for you. Do do we hang your writings in the rafters with Kevin O'Connor and Jared Weiss? Like, I, I feel like there's some type of ceremony that needs to go along with it. But how does it feel now, about a week or so since your your final article on Celtics blog? Yeah, it hit me when the Sam Cassell news came out and normally something like that would come out and I'd pop into the Celtics blog Slack and be like, hey, this is out there. Yo, can anybody grab it? And then if someone didn't reply within the next two, three minutes, I'd be like, all right, I'll take it and I'll put together the newser on it. And then it hit me and I 
literally just muscle memory was like, all right, I got to go get to sit down at my computer and open up the Celtics blog Slack. And then I was like, no, actually I don't need to, to do that. That, that can be, someone else can do that now. And uh, so, yeah, so that was the first time it really like full on uh, hit me. And then the next time, right, it'll be, you know, over the summer when stuff is happening and, you know, moves are being made and all those kind of things. But it's, uh, you know, just, I'll put it to rest here because a lot of people seem to think something you know, went sideways or there's some like untoward story or something like that. It's nothing like that. It wasn't anything like that. It was just I I had an opportunity to do more um, with Spot Track that I would not have been able to do while still uh, doing the Celtics blog work and and it was just time. That that's really all there is to it. I you know Adam knows I would. You know, if he if I thought it was not a great place to write and a good group of guys to work with, I would say so. I you know would have no problem with coming on here, but it's the exact opposite. Anybody who ever has a chance to cover this team or do anything, you know, I would jump over there and work for Jeff and Bill um, who run Celtics blog in a heartbeat. They're great guys, and it's a great group of people uh, to work with and write with and cover the team with. Jared Wise put it the best to me about 18 months ago about Bill. He was like, he's my favorite Bill. He's my favorite Cy. Um, we like I, I've I've coined him Bill Side the Celtics guy. I don't know if yep. I've ever coined him that to his face, like but I, well, but that's and then Jeff is just like ridiculously amazing. He's like open door policy. What does make me sad though is I'm looking at the primer right now, and we've got Brad Stevens looking up towards the rafters. Very sad. And <laughs> what we should have done was superimposed like you just above him, looking back down. So it could have been more of a like a a fitting goodbye. Yeah, but somehow I don't think uh, Brad Stevens looks at me with those kind of eyes. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, he will I do when Mike Zarin leaves. He'll be like, Keith, we need Keith. <laughs> I will say one time, uh, this is way back in the day, they, they played here in Orlando, and I asked him, uh, he had kind of – the game was getting away from him in the second half and he unleashed uh, Marcus Smart and Terry Rogier and like a, this like two man full court press. And I was, I was like, was that like kind of like, like unleashing the hounds? And then he, his response was, he goes, that is a great question. And then he went and like, all the guys are like, you know, you got the great question from Brad. Like you can like, like retire off that. Like he, he doesn't give those out very often. And, uh, you know, so I, I, w- I was on cloud nine for a little bit, but, and then the next time they were here, I asked him about why he, um, this is going really nerdy into basketball stuff, but um, NBA teams, the visiting team picks which basket they want to shoot at uh, in the, the each half. Um, you know, well, they pick it for the first half, and then they switch sides, obviously, at halftime. And they always played offense in front of Brad um, in the second half, which is opposite. Most teams play defense in front of their coach um, in the second half. And I asked him about that, and I said, is there a reason why you, you do that? And his response was, great question, yes. <laughs> that was it. That there was all go. he said. He wasn't, he wasn't giving it up. He was not giving up his reason for it. So, yeah, he was one of, at that time, he was one of six active coaches who did that. And he was the only one who wasn't from uh, Pop's tree. Uh, there was a Greg Popovich and all his guys uh, that had worked for him did it, and Brad, and that was it. Popovich, Belichick, you know, especially with where Belichick does that with, you know, trying to get the ball back in the second yeah. half, have those back-to-back possessions. That feels like like they would be aligned. And to be honest, that that little nugget of information, I did not know that the the opposing team got to choose which basket to start. I, I was just kind of assumed it was it was predetermined. Yeah. And you know, within that, Keith, we can add to your resume, got two good questions uh, <laughs> right. asked from or two great it. questions from uh from Brad Stevens. But 
you know, something I want to ask you here, because I got to see, you know, during our time at, at Celtics blog, when obviously the podcast was was there as well, you know, we were all kind of interacting on uh, the internal Slack, which, you know, if you're lucky enough to be a part of, I think the, my favorite part about it is we're all kind of fans first. And we do have obviously an analysis side that, that comes out that's a little bit more even, but, but fan is short for fanatic, right? So we all, of course, especially in the moment, we have the same visceral reactions and we try to then, you know, corral them a bit and put them into a podcast or put them into, you know, written words. But, you know, a week after or a week plus after this, now that, you know, the, the NBA finals as we're recording is two games in tied at one game apiece, you know, where are you at emotionally on this you know, just roller coaster, which sometimes is an overused word, but was definitely, you know, very appropriate for the Celtic season, specifically the postseason. You know, where are you at emotionally before we start getting into the finances and, and the future implications of this offseason? Where are you at emotionally with this past Celtics even g- given a little bit of time to reflect? Yeah, I went through like a whole like run of stuff. There there was a little bit of anger that it ended the way it ended. Um, there was a little bit of relief. Um, Adam knows this probably better than, than most. I, I was, I was pretty worn out by, by the end of the season. I had done all of the takeaways myself, um, after every single game without a pinch hitter, you know, even one time I had done a lot of other work and I do that in addition to, you know, the other jobs I have covering the league too. So I was, there, there was a sense of relief of it's over, um, deal with that. And then, then I kind of wrote that final takeaways piece and then started once that published, I kind of took the rest of that day. And then I started, I wrote the off-season primer, which was my last piece for the site. And by the time I wrote the off-season primer, I had moved on. Like it is season's over. It's now it's about next year. And we 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 move on. I generally tend to be pretty good at car uh compartmentalizing those things where it's like it's over and we move on to what's next. And and that that's where we go. And in this case, there was a little bit more pressure to just like i gotta get this article out and you'll get it posted because it's you know i'm I'm down to it with time here with with the site and then but then game one of the finals came around it was that day of that everybody was kind of doing all the media stuff and i was like oh man like it kind of hit me of like a year ago this was us right like we were covering all this and looking forward to it so you know it was a little bit bummed out when that creeped in but for the most part i'm i've moved on to the off season and i'm ready to go like i i turn the page very very quickly with this stuff because i tend to I, i write it a lot and i write it because i believe it it is the nba calendar moves very quickly and it doesn't pause for anybody there's no there there's no like it just keeps going like there there's no time for you know sulking about things and crying about what happened you just gotta move on to whatever's next Next season, like so, you ever for anybody that doesn't know, you watch like multiple games per day. If and you kind of, and I know you've said this on multiple co- podcasts before, you let Twitter kind of guide you to what games at what mm-hmm. point. But you've always made sure to get that that first watch and that rewatch of the Celtics in right, and that's partly because that's work at that point. You know, you have to get the first watch in, then you can gather some thoughts, go into the rewatch, consolidate what you saw, maybe you pick up on some extra things that kind of went under the radar. Do you think how hard is that going to be to move away from doing that for the Celtics, considering now that you're doing the entire NBA? It's going to feel really weird to to not watch Celtics games twice and to not watch them with the level of detail. When when the Celtics play for the last seven years, I watch only the Celtics game. Maybe if it's a blowout, I might flip over. I might you know multi screen it and leave them as one of the screens. Um, but I pretty much they 
uh, tapped in because I know I'm going to write the takeaways the next day and I know I'm going to watch it again the next day. Now, second day rewatches, Adam and I have talked about this quite often, even on podcasts. If it's a 30-point blowout, either way, I'm not spending a lot of time rewatching you know, the fourth quarter or a second time, right? There's just there's only so many hours in the day, and I want to allocate those hours elsewhere. But for the most part, any game that's you know relatively close, I'm gonna watch the whole thing all the way through. The nice thing is you can rewatch an NBA game in under an hour if you're watching the possession only view, because it cuts out all the other stuff, right? It, it's really just kind of locks you into that. And that that's always been a you know good way to kind of consume that a second time. Or like I'll make, I take detailed notes, like generally from every game, I'll have a notes document that I have up. It, I use a word document, um, but I have, I, I bullet point them and I number them. And then I have it, it, looks like the work of a madman but like i have a whole system so i know when when the play happened and the time and what it was that i'm trying to pull out of that play and all this stuff but i'll generally have somewhere between 100 and 120 of those notes every game um at the at the end of it just so that way i can go back and see things right and sometimes they're general themes sometimes it might be like really bad rebounding q2 um, you know, re- re- really great, you know, offensive approach in the first half or whatever it is. And then other times it's a very specific plays, but I'll lock in, you know, in those good, the really good games are really important games, especially the playoffs. It'll be, you know, over a hundred notes deep, you know, and that's on a game that might only have, you know, a hundred offensive possessions in it. Like I, I will, you know, basically have a note on all of it. And then you can't write an article that long. No one will read it. So then it becomes, <laughs> all right, let's parse these down. Let's go. Let's, let's kind of run with a theme here. Um, the whole idea of the takeaways was let's tell the story for anybody who missed the game and didn't have a chance to watch it with some visual clips. And then I loved nothing more than over the years of, Hey, you like, like one of my favorite things was this was like, maybe two, it was about three years into Jalen Brown's career. Um, There was a play where he caught a ball at half court and he actually caught it, took a dribble and like slowed himself up. And and the defender was right there because he slowed himself up. He was able to then turn the jets on and go by the guy where in his first two, three years, he would have caught it and just put his head down, bowled the guy over would have been an offensive foul and a turnover. And like, that was one of my favorite clips to pull that I've ever pulled because Nothing ended up happening. He went by the guy and then he passed it and then the shot got missed. But I was like, this is like, this is when you watch the game with that level of detail. Those are the things you pick up on, right? Those little pieces of like, he finally did this, right? Or like, oh, you know, they're, they're now running this set where it's, you know, you get, you eventually, it's like, it's the same set. Like, I've seen this a million times. You know, and it gets to the point where it's like, all right, if they're, they're, they're lining, you know, Tate them up in the backcourt, they're either going to hit them on the run or they're going to play this way. They're going to lob it in over the top to a big and, you know, all the different things. And, it, you know, that, that's the stuff that'll hit me when I get into that first round of the takeaways um, for first game or not into the first round of the takeaways, I guess. Um, it'll hit me like, well, I'm just going to sit down and watch and not make a million notes. Like, like that'll hit me and that, that'll, that'll, that'll probably be, be a little bit emotional, a little bit rough. Why just to jump in. Oh, go ahead, Adam. Sorry, just to jump in, I've just counted my notes from an average game, and I sit at around 50. So, obviously, I need to up the notes. No, you don't need to up them. It's, it's madness, man. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there, too, like like a note, maybe line-up combos. You know, for That's, me, like, yeah. So, yeah, I no, you do it by hand. I just do it in a Word document. I, write it, I wouldn't be able to read it back. My handwriting is atrocious. And I'd be like, I don't even know what this means. There, and I'm going to be fully honest. There's a couple times I've made notes, and I'm like, 
I don't remember what that meant. And then if I'm watching the possession only, like it didn't stand out. So then it's usually eh, it must not have been that important. Like let's let's get get, get away. From Keith, that. it's like um, I don't know if you ever if you're a Seinfeld fan, but there's the Seinfeld episode where he wakes up in the middle of the night, scribbles down a joke that he finds hilarious, yeah. and then he goes around everybody. Do you know what this says? Yeah. And everybody has a different interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I remember that of episode. what it is. I think I think it actually that clip actually came up this year because uh, one of them was a psychic had told him. I think it was like. Cleveland 105, you know, Detroit 102. <laughs> and it actually was a score this year That's that funny. actually matched up with that. But, you know, I know that obviously being in addition to the notes that you take for individual games, I know that you have spreadsheet upon spreadsheet upon note upon note of everything transaction based for your your work with spot track. So, you know, with that, I, I want to transition a little bit here into the offseason. Like you said, at a certain point, it's unfortunate the way the Celtic season ended. But we're moving on here and we have to kind of keep looking forward. So the first part of that is starting July 1st, there is a new collective bargaining agreement that goes into place. And, you know, we don't have to go too deep into this, but I just want to try to hit on the key points that Celtics fans really need to know, because I know we're going to dig into what it means for Jalen Brown, what it means for Grant Williams and what this roster complexion, you know, what are the ways to, to go about forming this roster over the next one to three years, because that's really where this CBA is going to come into play. So if you could just kind of lay out the top two to three things that are really going to be super important for Celtics fans to know as the offseason gets going here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, this new CBA has been painted as it is designed to break up the most expensive teams in the league. And that is true with caveats. Had they pushed for a hard cap, we would be sitting here today talking about a lockout that's coming you know, when the finals ends. Like the draft would be our last big, big thing, and then they'd go right into a lockout, and that would be it. Because the, the MBPA was never going to give in on a hard cap. Where they settled was this kind of 
pseudo hard cap of this second tax apron. So what happens in today's NBA, set the salary cap at, and I'll just use next year's projections just because it's easiest. So the 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 um, cap is projected at $134 million. The tax line is projected at $169 million. Oh, I'm sorry, $162 million. The tax apron, which has existed for years, the, the, the now they're calling it the, the tax apron or first tax apron, or colloquially known as the hard cap line, because that's where if you were subject to, you'd get hard capped. That's about $7 million over the tax line, $169 million. Now they've introduced this new thing called the second tax apron. I call it the super tax because I think it's a lot more fun than second tax apron. Um, but super tax line is that is 10.5 million over the tax line. Um, so that that bumps you to 17 and a half million over that uh you know full luxury tax line. So we're up, up at about 179 and a half million. Teams that are above that get a whole layer of restrictions and penalties that will be put upon them to build out their roster. You can always re-sign your own players. You can always sign your draft picks. You can always sign players to minimum contracts with one caveat that I'll hit uh, in a second here. But that's basically, if you're that expensive, that's what you're limited to. Because what's going to happen is, so starting this summer, starting this July 1st, teams that are above that line, they will not have the taxpayer mid-level exception. So that they won't even have it. Now they've reduced that exception in value. It's down to about five million dollars. So it should have been about seven and a half-ish million. Mm -hmm. Um, they've reduced that number down. And if you're above that line, you don't even get it. So you you so the Warriors signing Dante DiVincenzo could not happen uh this summer. They'll be limited to what they can do. Almost all of the other penalties kick in with the start of the 2024 uh offseason. Um, yeah, 2024 offseason, so a year from now. Mm -hmm. So what happens on those ones when that comes up, some of the restrictions that will come in are, um, I mentioned you can only sign players to a minimum contract, except if they were a buyout player that made more than the uh, non-taxpayer MLE. So essentially the Kevin Love type of buyout player. Russell Westbrook as well. Russell Westbrook, yep. exactly. That's a great example. Um, you would not be able to sign those kind of guys if you're above that number. If a guy's just a minimum dude who got waived, you can go sign him because he's just a minimum guy. You're resigning him to a minimum. It's basically let's stop the rich from getting richer. Trades become far, far more difficult to pull off. There's two big restrictions on trades. One is you can trade only dollar for dollar. So if you send out 20 million, you can bring back 20 million. What's in today's CBA, if you send out 20 million, you can generally bring back about 100, or you can bring back, you know, a bump above that to so be about 25 million, um, you know, on top of that. Now in, in the new CBA, 20 million goes out, 20 million or less can come back in. The other thing that comes into play with that is, you can no longer aggregate salaries together. So you cannot take two $10 million players, put them together and go trade for a $25 million player. You would not be allowed to do that in the new CBA. Again, not this summer, but next summer. This summer, think of it as it's kind of sort of the bridge year, the, the, the you know, get your stuff in order kind of year, if that's where you want to go um, with that. So, so that's, you know, another limitation. You, um, 
you you're limited on trading draft picks. Your draft pick, if you're a super tax team, if it's your own pick, it'll fall to the end of the first round. Um, you you so if you should add the 25th pick, it's going to fall to the 30th pick. Um, is where that'll go. You're going to be be bumped back as a penalty for being above the super tax line. You also can't trade a pick that's seven years out. That pick becomes frozen. And then you have to be out of the super tax for a pre-described window of, I believe it's four years, then that'll free back up to, to be able to be traded. So the Kevin Durant trade this season would not have been allowed to happen because the, the Suns would have been up and over the super tax line. They wouldn't have been able to do it. So the, these are the kind of things that are coming. So basically it's when I say you're down to – Resigning your own guys, signing your draft picks, and signing minimum contracts, that's kind of because that's where you're at. Yes, you can still do trades, and there's going to be unintended consequences of the way I think some teams are going to work around the trade rules. I'm going to be quite honest with you, but for the most part, you're you're going to be pretty limited in how you can build out a roster if you're that expensive of a team. Which I think brings – oh, sorry, Will, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Adam. I was going to say, I think that kind of brings us to the, the elephant in the room, right, with the, the Jalen Brown Supermax. So the argument I've been having across social media is it's not just about when you supermax Jalen, it's about when you have to supermax Tatum, right? And well, we've spoke at this on a few shows now where now you're committing 70% of your entire cap space to two guys and you still need to fill out another 14 roster spots. Brad Stevens in his recent press conference was like, yeah, I believe in this core. You know, we, we have every faith in this core. Good. Okay, you've paid the lip service you need to pay. But realistically... Where do they stand in terms of should they supermax? Like, what's the most logical path forward for them? Not what they what we think they'd do, but what logically speaking will be the best path forward. Yeah, there's two approaches you can take to that, right? I think approach one is you you just let tomorrow's problem be tomorrow's problem, and I think that's the one they're going to take, which is supermax Jalen, pay him you know whatever that works out to be, and then move forward. One thing to be very clear on: they would both starting salaries would be 35% of the cap, but it'd be Jalen one year, then Tatum kicks in the year mm -hmm. behind him. And in that case, what would happen with each of those guys is it would be um, they, they can get 8% raises on top of that. The cap is projected to grow by 10% each year. So it'll never be quite 70% of the cap. It'll always be slightly less. Um, not enough that it's going to make a huge difference. They're still going to be wildly expensive as a team goes if you do that and put those two guys on the max. I mean, the reality is those two guys alone will make well in advance of $100 million, just the two of them. Um, and mm -hmm. then that's two guys out of 15. Right. So you still got to fill out 13 <laughs> more spots, you know, with your precious little to do it with. Even if you could clear everything else, you're down like 20 million ish in uh, cap space to, you know, fill out the rest of your roster with um, for 13 players. So not that much. But the other piece is with that too is that's of the cap when the real lines you care about start to be the tax and the, 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 tax apron and the, the super tax line. And at that point, they'd be, let's call it roughly 50 to 60% of the cap versus the 70% of the cap. So I just want to want to make sure because it sounds alarming, right? When we say they'll be making 70%, but it's mm -hmm. really, it is, but it, it kind of isn't too on that. But Especially when you're in championship contention, right? Correct. Because because yeah. most of the teams that are in championship contention are going to live right 
at or ide- I mean, ideally below that, you know, that super tax apron that you're talking sure. about you're or, ju- right or, or just below. Apron. You're going to you're going to be yeah. right in there. And yeah. so, you, you know, a lot of the offseason conversation so far when looking at this Jalen Brown Supermax, and I agree, I think the most likely route is, is Supermax him and it kind of becomes a problem for, you know, because it'll be that year long trade restriction, I believe. Mm-hmm. If he signs that Supermax, this will be a, a next season or really once Tatum's next extension kicks in, that's when it starts to get a little bit tight and it will be that, you know, wh- whatever the problem is at that time. But you'll also have some of the current roster that will be coming off the books at that time. And, you know, salaries around the league. And this is kind of where I want to go with this next question. It feels like that middle class of player is going to have a re-examining. You know, you talked about that um, taxpayer mid-level, which Danilo Gallinari got last year just below uh-huh. $7 million ish You said is now going to be about 5 You know, yeah. you look at the fact that the Celtics have three guards that are all making 18 to $22 million. You know, my guess, and it's just a guess, obviously, at this point, but that's probably not going to be the world that we're living in, that, that you know, you're not going to be able to have that, nor are they probably going to be able to garner that on the open market just based off the the finances. So when I look at this new CBA, one thing that kind of jumps out to me is you talked about, of course, you can always re-sign your own players, but only up to a certain level before you get hit so hard with penalties that even that doesn't, doesn't yeah, make no, sense. Sorry to interrupt you, Will, but no, no, on it. that too, well, one thing we didn't talk about is, and this is this should be less of a fan concern, but it is still a real concern is there are stricter financial penalties only, right? In today's world, there are limitations to being super expensive under the current CBA. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's, hey, if your ownership is willing to pay, like Steve Ballmer, like the Lake Cubs and, yep. you know, with the Warriors, then you're golden, right? You're, you're fine. They'll just pay whatever the penalties are and move on. Well, instead of being like, three and four times per dollar for being a repeater that's in the super tax, it's going to be more like six and seven times per dollar. So it starts to get absolutely absurd, the amount of just tax penalties you're yeah. paying on top. And that's where, you know, right. And I'm one of the people who tweets these out all the time in today's world. It's like, okay, the Warriors are signing, you know, player X to a, uh, you know, minimum contract worth, you know, $1.9 million. That'll actually come with a cost of, you know, uh, you know, $17 million because of, you know, the penalties and associated kit that goes on top of that and everything. So that's, that's one of the things where, you know, that's going to get even more restrictive, but that's an ownership thing, right? That's yeah. where, you know, all right. You know, but that said, I've been very critical of ownership groups where I, you know, and I've said it in the past, like, Hey, these are all toys for you. Right. And if you don't want to play and invest money into your toy, then sell the team, right? Sell yeah. the team and move with somebody who will. There, there's still limits, right? There are still like that's that's further than you know is reasonable to think they can go. I want to go back to one other thing though, if I can, very quickly, because yeah. Adam asked, and I only answered half of his question. Half of it is resign Jalen Brown, let tomorrow be tomorrow's problem, move on. The other option is to say no, we're not doing it, right? Like we we will give you a very large contract, but it's going to be. 30% of the cap, which he's already qualified for, or we'll go to, you know, 32% with incentives that could push you up a little bit higher or whatever it is, but we're not going to the full max amount. I tend to think if we start quibbling over 5%, that starts getting a little silly, you know, where, where we're going with this, especially for guys like Jalen. Yeah. And I think you run the risk of insulting him and pissing him off. The other option is you offer him the super max. If he says no, you have to trade him. There can be no other decision made. And I know people are like, you keep saying that, but that's why would you, you know, just let it play out. Because then you're going to lose him a year from now for nothing. Because one player 
since these Supermax have been a thing, has turned it down. It insisted on, you know, I'm not signing it because I don't want to be here. That was Kawhi Leonard, and the Spurs ended up trading him away. You have to do it because you can't let them walk for nothing. And if you don't think there'll be teams that are going to be, all right, let's start lining up for a whole year. We're going to set everything in motion so we have enough to offer Jalen Brown the absolute max we can when he's a free agent in the summer of 2024. You're, you're fooling yourself. So if the Celtics offer it, and I've been saying this for literally months now, um, if they offer and he says no, sound the you know, alarm bells and you know flashing red lights and whatever else you need to because it's time to trade him and move on. And, and I'm not going to take that fully off the table. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it'll happen because I think at the end of the day he's going to be like, yeah, I can do a 290 to $300 Because <laughs> the reality of the NBA is he's not happy a year or two in. He asks for a trade then. Right, because that's just the way it goes. We've all kind of made our our peace with it. Is that's how this is going to go? These guys grab the money when it's there and go. But so I I think what happens is full supermax for Jalen, and we you know again deal with those problems as they come down the line. Or part of how we deal with it is in other ways, just not by we're removing Jalen Brown from the picture. We start moving on from other guys to rebalance a little bit that way. Personally, Keith, would you would you if you were the Celtics organization, regardless of what Jalen Brown's gonna say, yes or no, would you offer the full supermax? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this a million times, and I was super disappointed in his game seven performance because this was like his chance to be be the guy. And once emotions got past, it's all right, it was one bad game, right? He had one bad game. Yeah, it was a bad game at the absolute worst possible time, but you know, it's one game. I'm not going to you know change my whole thought process on this player. So I think, I think he remains very tradable on the supermax. So I would, I'd give it to him, keep it moving, keep things going forward. Um, you know, with, with this team, I think, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in and get angry about they fell short of the finals, but the reality is last year they were in the finals this year. They were, they were in a game seven, you know, to go to the finals. Like they're in the mix every year. I don't want to move too far away from things because I think when you start chasing upgrades, the upgrades are never going to be quite as good. And you're not going to get somebody as good as Jalen Brown in a trade. It's just not going to happen. And in the NBA, we all know, you know, four quarters don't equal a dollar, right? And if, if you view Jalen Brown as a dollar player, four quarters are not going to be the same thing if you trade him for that. Other guys in the roster, yeah, maybe you could break them into two you know, reasonable players and those kind of things. But this is an all-NBA, all-star level guy. You're you're not getting equal value in a trade. It's just not going to happen. Talking of breaking guys up into other pieces, maybe losing them, letting them go, saying a V the same, we have to talk about Grant Williams. Now, I've been very vocal about Grant for months. You've both listened to me whine and whinge about his lack of playing time under Joe. He is going to be restricted. The Celtics can offer like match whatever offer he has. Do you think he comes back? Like, what's the logical outcome there with the future CBA kind of in mind? Obviously, they're not going to want to pay the money he was looking for at the start. It's a good thing they didn't agree to that now. Otherwise, we'd be talking about trading Grant rather than trying to keep him. So, what what do you see kind of the line in the sand being, and how logical is it that he comes back? Yeah, I think we're. We have pretty credible reporting that he turned down a big deal. It was worth about $12 million a season. Um, still think that was the right move for him. That's that's the mid-level amount now, right? And I think he's probably worth slightly more than the mid-level. So I think what happens with the Celtics is I think 
they they probably at this point with Grant and his agent, they probably know, hey, this is what we'll do. If you can get this topped in an offer sheet, either come back and talk to us first and we'll see if do we want to mess around or sign the offer sheet and then we'll make a decision off of that. And then what they may do is say, hey, rather than do an offer sheet, you know, with, and I'm just pulling them out because they're a cap space team, but rather than signing an offer sheet with the Indiana Pacers, let us talk with the Pacers and see, can we work out some kind of trade instead where you still go there via sign and trade and, you know, and then we, we get something back, right? And the Pacers are, they, they're a team that could definitely use a forward uh, for sure. And they're a team the Celtics have obviously worked trade with, trades with in the past, but you know, whether it's the Pacers or the Spurs or the Thunder or the Pistons or, you know, any number of teams, you know, it's only one of the cap space teams that can make Boston blank because anybody else, it has to be through a sign and trade to give them more than the mid-level and the mid-level amount of just over 12 million Celtics, I think would just match that be like, we're, we're matching it. We're going to keep them here for that amount. I think anything in the 15, 16 million range, they probably match or just sign them to that themselves and move forward with that. I think anything that gets much above that, that's where you have to have a different kind of conversation of, can we turn this into some kind of mutually beneficial trade where he still gets everything he would have got or sign the offer sheet and you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. But that that's where it gets a little tricky because so been talked about, right? You can't, you can't add salaries together, right? So let's say we're, two years into that deal in their super tax team because they kept Jalen and all that stuff. Well, you can't take Grant at 15 million and Derek White at 19 million and go trade them for a $30 million player. It won't be allowed. So that's where Grant at even 18 to 20 million could be, yeah, you know, we think he's a $15 million player, but that extra 5 million in a trade, that has value too. Right, because we can't add five million to him anywhere. That's one of the kind of unintended consequences. Things I think is going to happen as part of this CBA. We're going to see some guys get overpaid, just as the sense of we're going to overpay you, so we have you as a basically a walking trade exception. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got that. I, Mister Numbers, Mister Cap here. I don't like thinking of players in that sense. I feel a lot less bad about it when it's like they got five extra million dollars out of it then then my feelings on the whole thing are very very different but i think there's a chance that could be the way you know, we see some of these types of contracts go down for some of these guys where it's yeah we gave them a little bit more money because the whole idea is their their positive value to this number but then on this number if we throw a draft pick in um to a deal we can now get into a spot where it turns into all right yeah, we're, we're, we're moving on with a, you know, for a pretty solid trade package here because now we can match salary. We wouldn't have been able to match otherwise. Yeah, I think how teams move about these next, specifically this offseason and next offseason with trying to get their books in line with the new CBA is going to be a little bit fascinating because like you said, it, you know, it feels, and this is something I wanted to ask you about, it, it feels some t to a degree a little bit restrictive for teams that are willing to spend because like you said before, Hey, you want to spend it's just on the owners and i've always been yeah. of listen like you look at the celtics ownership just as an example they bought this team back in the early 2000s for you know 300 million it's now worth four billion dollars i'm not really in the position of caring about you know them being you know upset about being in the tax if they have a championship team big deal they're going to be just fine they're printing money left and right but now because of you know being able to trade certain assets add on players in different ways there is a more roster building part of this and i'm just curious for your personal opinion you know do you think this cba is is going to be 
you know, a little bit harmful to those teams that were willing to spend, that were willing to say, hey, we really want to win. And now you have to make, you know, I, I think to the to the Jalen Brown point, Celtics are probably going to at least offer the super max, but it's at least a conversation of, man, are our books going to be so crazy in two years that even though this guy is a top 20 to 25 player, this might not make sense because you don't. The, the worst thing you can do to me in this new CBA is end up in a place like, say, the Washington Wizards, where you have a Max and Brad Beal. Maybe Porzingis is making, you know, thirty million or so, and then maybe you give Kuzma some type of deal. And now all of a sudden, you got those three, and you can't even make the play in. And they're they're all good players in their own right. Porzingis was healthy this past year, had a really good season, but but that ain't winning you nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now it becomes really restrictive about, you know, what you can do. And, and, and even for teams that are, you know, you mentioned all the teams with salary cap space going into this offseason. I look at a team like Oklahoma City. You know, they've got Shea, who just made first team all NBA. Josh Giddy's pretty awesome. Chet Holmgren's awesome. Jalen Williams is is going to be awesome. You know, they're going to have a bunch of guys that they all can't pay at a certain point, even with all their draft picks. So at a certain point, it's going to hurt them, even with their own guys, if these guys all make 20, 30, 40 million dollars. So, you know, do you think the CBA leaned a little bit too aggressively into trying to break up these super teams? And now it's actually going to even hurt some teams with homegrown talent that they're trying to retain because of all the issues that come along with that super apron. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely going to be teams that are going to break up. Windows are going to be shorter in the NBA. You, it is going to be very, very difficult to have a Warriors-like run that is essentially stretched for a decade. By the, t- by the time Curry, Thompson, and Green all age out of there, we'll have seen a decade-long run of, you know, and I'll just call it excellence, even if there's been a couple years in there that weren't so great. I mean, most of the years were them competing for or winning titles. It's going to be very, very hard to have that kind of run because, one, you have to have an ownership group that can afford it with all the additional penalties. You're going to have to nail your draft picks that are going to be, you know, in the late 20s because presumably you'll you'll you should one you should only do it if you're that good right if, if you're you know hitting the you know amounts of we're a second round team every year you should not be you know bumping your head against super tax every single year if you can't ever get past that point but if you're in contention every year yeah which then means you're picking in the late 20s which means you're gonna have to nail those picks every single year because that's just you know that's your best chance at replenishing your depth on your roster uh, with that around those guys. So, you know, and their challenges are going to be, you know, now realistically, you lose a you know, all NBA superstar player to injury, you're probably hurting anyway pretty bad, but you're really going to be have no chance of re- recovering from it, right? Because you're just not going to have the depth to, to, to do that. So, so there's that. I still think, you know, a team like the Clippers. Right, they're the opposite of the Warriors. I I don't know how much of this was really designed to break up the Warriors as it was to break up teams like the Clippers and the Nets, what the Nets were at the time that these decisions were being made. Teams that weren't homegrown but were getting wildly expensive because they had added, then it was add. And how they kept adding was we kept turning $20 million of salary into 25 and then re-signing that player for 30. And then pretty soon, you know, we've got, you know, three, three max guys and a whole bunch of other dudes that make 20 and, you know, we're, you know, you know, we're $30 million over the luxury tax and off we go. I think those are the teams where it's like, that's scary, right? Because Steve Ballmer, can, he could outspend the entire league put together almost. It's, that's just literally how rich he is. Um, you know, now it's like, you can still do it if you want, but you got to be able to 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 
build an actual functional roster, and that's going to have limits when you get there. And I think what's going to happen is, to your point, Will, used to be the conversation on like the Jalen Brown situation was, you know, Brad Stevens goes to Wick Grosbeck, hey, can we pay the tax to keep Jalen Brown? And Wick says, yeah, you know, okay, we'll 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 do it. We'll pay the tax. Now Wick's question needs to be, I will pay the tax, but can you build a roster that can compete if I do with all these additional restrictions that are coming in on top? And that's where where it gets a little little more, you know, sideways. To the point you asked earlier is what they've tried to do in this is because the other on the other end, the other end of the spectrum, you can no longer go into the regular season like the Spurs and Pacers did this year sitting $30 million under the cap. Um, you're not going to be able to do that because what happens is they're going to put a cap hold on your book that basically wipes that out. So you're no longer sitting as a you know true under the cap team. And if you finish under the floor in terms of actual salary, you're not, you're not getting the luxury tax money from the teams that paid into the tax. It's not going to go to you. So basically what they're doing is saying everybody needs to, instead of having teams way down here, let me get on camera, way down here, and teams way up here, you know, in salary, we want everybody here, right? There's still going to be teams here, and there's going to be teams here, but we're a lot closer, right? They're, they're a lot closer, and that's why they made the non-taxpayer mid-level they bumped it up to $12 million. The room exception, which was like a nice little bonus on top of, of you know, having cap space, it's now $7.6 million. So you'll have another piece if you go under the cap and then use all your cap space. You can then use that to add some guys. They're gonna they're doing things to try to force those teams at the bottom to spend. What they're trying to do is push it so everybody's tight, right? You're always going to have your team that's going to emerge. They're around for three, four, five-year window. But then it's going to be really hard to keep them together. It'll rebound. It'll re-go a different way. They'll they'll cycle back through to the bottom. Another team will emerge up, and that that's where they want it to be. Adam Silver said it directly. You know, he's on the TNT um, pregame show the other day, and he said that's a big part of it, right? Is to to create the parity within the league. They, they believe that this will do that. I didn't realize I was on mute. Um, <laughs> Parity sounds great, right? In in kind of like a perfect world, every team having an opportunity to be challenging for a championship, to be rebuilding, but things don't work that way. You know, for some right. front offices are just more intelligent or they operate yep. in a more efficient manner than what others do. Some front offices genuinely just value being a playoff team rather than being a championship team. And Ownership really, groups too. Yeah. So like, just, just, they, they're content just to be, a, be in the playoffs every year, yeah. Make their sell some tickets at the playoffs, make a bit of profit, and then that's them. So then, when you have that kind of, I don't know, apath apathetic approach towards being a competitive team, and now you have this kind of forced parity, right, where it's kind of a little bit out of your control. How does that start to benefit the teams that genuinely want to win? Do we see teams start trying to move off from some of their better players just because they don't want to? You know, they not that they don't want to be contending, but they just don't want to have to foot the bill of what happens once you start being that contending team. Do we start see guys like I'm pulling a name out of the out of the air because I know Indiana probably do want to be competitive, but do you start seeing someone like Tyrese Halliburton become super max eligible and then start being shopped around because the team don't want to even flirt with that second tax apron? Yeah, I mean you could lately. Example, I, I'll use the Celtics as an example. I think, like I said, I think they're going to you know, give Jalen Brown the Supermax, but what it will cost you is someone like Malcolm Brogdon, 
right? Because where it's take 22 and a half million right now, today's world, all that is is tax money, right? And they were willing to pay it. And quite frankly, worked out better than I think anybody ever could have expected. He won six man of the year. He stayed healthy all the way until the very end of the year. And I have other thoughts on, you know, with, I'll just give them very quickly. I think now's maybe the time to sell on Brogdon because I have very, very severe doubts he's going to stay healthy again. I did. This is the first time he's been healthy in a season since his rookie year. And I don't, maybe they finally found the magic mix of coming off the bench, playing less minutes. You know, maybe that is something to do that. But he also was very clear. He came off the bench, but he doesn't want to, right? He wants to start. He wants, and it's not, that's not even a bad thing. I don't know. That's not a criticism. I fully get why he would rather start. He's been a starter his entire career until this season. But I think it's the combination of all those things with the money he makes. If you could break him up into a couple guys to flush out the depth a little bit better, you're you're fine. Right? You still have Derek White. You still have Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown's going to play a lot of minutes in the backcourt if they go to a too big lineup more often. And you know if 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 you move on for Brogdon. Could maybe keep Pritchard around because now there should be minutes open for him. But that's just a little aside there. The kind of guys I think that are going to get caught up in these roster decisions, it's not always going to be the star level guys. Teams are still going to retain their very best players. It's just going to be everybody else. And what you're going to end up with is these teams that all look a lot like what the Lakers looked like for a couple of years where it's a few high-end guys and then a bunch of guys that are making the minimum or you know maybe one or two guys that you've kind of retained over the years or turned into something else via trade or whatever it is um that that'll be where where it'll go what will really stand out over the next let's say five years the teams that really scout really really well and can find those bargain players whether it be bringing them over from overseas you know somebody who yeah, they didn't get drafted. They went overseas. They really developed and they became some of the Daniel Tices of the world. Those kind of guys that can come in, fill a rotation role on the minimum, and we can just move forward with those, those kind of guys. So the Tices, the Shane Larkins, those kind of players. Those are going to be the huge gets um, for teams. Is In addition to you know, the Austin Reeves of the world where it's like, man, this dude can really play and everybody else missed on him. And, you know, whether there's going to be obviously a lot of luck involved there too, but it'll be, you know, let's go, you know, with that. And I think because teams may have, instead of one or two end of the bench spots like that, you may be talking about three or four. You're going to see teams probably cycle through guys a lot quicker. It'll be bring a guy up, you know, have him for a couple of weeks. Didn't really work out. Let's move on. Let's get another guy in and just keep, you know, that diamond mining process churning until somebody pops. And it's like, all right, now we got them. Let's move forward with, with this guy. And that's going to be the kind of things that are going to happen here that I think were not necessarily what the NBA was intending to do. And then you're going to see just a whole bunch of dudes pushed into the middle that are going to be, man, my team could have re-signed me for $20 million, but they made the decision to let me go. And now all that's available for me is the, you know, 12, 13, $14 million mid-level exception. And that's going to be what I have to take instead. So their number came down a little bit, but they're onto a different team. And that's how we cycle this through. It's going to be, be a lot more moving and moving and moving. You're going to be constantly seeing rosters churning in a way that we don't necessarily see today. And the very best front offices are going to be the ones that act very quickly and act early versus the ones that sit around and wait. Last question here for you, Keith. I know we got to get you out of here. For the Celtics, you know, one thing that that has become very evident, they're not going to be 
players in free agent this year or really for the next couple of years. So if this team is to enter into the trade market and look to shake up, you know, whether it's the core or whether it's some of the surrounding pieces, do you have any particular player type and or a specific player that you think should be on Celtics fans radar for this particular offseason? No, many specific players, just because it's not that that starts to trend into like fantasy world for me, where we're you know, I'm not necessarily what I we gotta, we gotta try and get a soundbite out of you. Sure, that's, 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 <laughs> yeah. that's part of Sorry, the gig here, man. I gotta, I gotta try way. and blow you up on that somewhere. <laughs> Player types, though, get they need another bigger wing, right? It, it turned into by the end of the year, it was Tatum and Brown, and that was it for wings with size because Hauser was completely out of the rotation for the vast majority of the playoffs. Um, I don't know that he's going to develop enough to get back into that mix. Um, so that's where, you know, I'd be doing that. And then if you lose Grant Williams, you need a third big, right? You need another uh, big that can float between the four and the five that you can rotate in there. And that's where, you know, you just got to cover yourself because what are the chances Rob makes it through a full season? Probably pretty low, right? We haven't seen him. Al Horford's getting older, right? It's, you know, I think this is going to turn into some of those um, most, for the most part, he only missed the back-to-backs this year. I don't know that he ever missed another game due to injury. I'm sure he probably didn't. I'm forgetting. But, you know, it might be one of those things where, hey, a sprained ankle no longer is enough, sit out the back-to-back, and then you're back on the you know fourth night. It might turn into now you're out for a week. Right, just because you know where where he's at in this point in his career. That's where I think, you know, gotta get gotta get another big in there. If Grant's not gonna be part of the mix, get a big wing, somebody who can do do something at that spot. Fortunately, there's a whole bunch of guys like that that could be available. And again, some of these guys are gonna get squeezed, right? And they may not uh, get the contracts. And maybe that big wing or big because he doesn't necessarily play big. Maybe that's Danilo Gallinari. I don't know. You know, I tend to think of him more as a big wing because he's the size of a power forward and probably that's what he is defensively, but he doesn't really play that way, um, you know, offensively, like, like a big in that that standpoint. And then just, you know, fill out your depth the best way you can. It's not the worst thing in the world if this team mostly runs it back. Like, I know that Pete, yeah, it, there was points what fans like, want to hear. I agree yeah, with you, but that's, I get just, it. that's just I mean, not what a lot of fans are feeling. And, right. and I'm in the camp where I don't mind if you run it back, but I'd really prefer you not to. Yeah, I, it, it, like I said, and this is not a knock on Malcolm Brogdon because I think he really did give them everything they wanted him to give them, and it was just unfortunate he got hurt. I just envisioned, you know, we're going to be, you know, mid-December, and it's going to be, oh, Malcolm Brogdon's out for two months with something, just because that's how it's always gone with him. Mm-hmm. This This was literally his first healthy year since his rookie season. You know, and I, I just I don't think you can bank on getting another one out of it. You know, not not at not at his age and where where he's heading. And and the other reality is, is he gonna shoot forty five percent or whatever it was from three again? That's probably not overly likely too, right? And if I'm choosing between the two, I'm picking Derek White every day of the week, and it's not even close. Um, I you know just in general, I would start the process maybe of Marcus. You're going into that your old former, whatever the hell he called it, stretch six role or whatever it was he called it. You're going back into the super sub role. We're going to run with Derek White, especially if we run two bigs. You know, White, Brown, Tatum, Al, Rob, run that, see where it goes. On the nights when Al sits or the nights we need another guard, Marcus can slide in. You play a little bit smaller or whatever. Still is going to play 25, 30 minutes a night off the bench anyway. But I, I would put the ball more in Derek White's hands, I, I think. If you could 
get Tatum and Brown to buy into, let Dirk White be the playmaker. He'd be so much the better for everybody. He he was a really good uh, on-ball playmaker with the Spurs, and he's been kind of turned into this, you know, off the ball secondary playmaker with Boston, which he's done quite well with also, but I'd like to see the ball in his hands a little bit more and not just in the six man role, right? I'd like to see him kind of in that mix where it's all right, let, let's go go forward with this. But you know, it's the lineup versatility is a blessing and a curse, right? Because there's a lot of different ways you can go. And there's a lot of different guys you could probably quite frankly make pretty angry if it's, hey, guess what? You're gonna move be the bench guy this year and go go that way. Cause there's a lot of guys who are, wait a minute, like I'm a starter. Like I've been been a starter now. And that's that's just something they're gonna have to work through. Keith, you are one of the hardest working guys in the biz. We <laughs> always appreciate you taking time here. It's been really fun getting to know you a little bit more working through Celtics blog. And obviously, this is not your first time here with us on Green with Envy. So we appreciate you joining us here. Anything you want to shout out for some work you got coming up with Spot Track that you want to highlight? Man, we got just stuff hey, every day. I think today three pieces went up uh, today alone. Uh, Clippers off-season preview, Cavaliers off-season preview, and then one of my favorite pieces that I write every year. It's the uh, rookie scale extension kind of preview predictions where I go through uh, all 30 guys to – could have been eligible. Some are obviously not because they've been traded or waived or whatever, um, or had options declined. Um, so, but I go through all 30 of the guys from the 2020 draft class and make a prediction on what they'll sign for. My track record on those is actually pretty good. I've been, you know, either right on or in range on uh, most of the guys I predict over the years. There's always one or two that just comes out of nowhere and surprises me. And this year is a little bit different because you can do five-year non-designated um, player uh, extensions for rookie-scale guys, which is a whole new thing that didn't exist in prior years. So that's going to take a little bit for me to recalibrate. But that went up today, and that's always a fun piece. All right. Well, go follow Keith. Check him out at Spot Track, And then, uh, Adam, any final thoughts you got for us here before we send this out with some Black Sheep Optimus? Make me some draft picks that I really want. And, Keith, man, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you for so much for your time. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode of Green with Envy. We will catch y'all uh, on YouTube. Make sure you're following us across all social medias. Appreciate y'all for listening. Peace. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes. A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it is some mirage. Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe. But I stay for a minute, cause I'm digging the vibe. I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes. Don't be catching feelings when it's only a vibe. Don't know what the deal is. I'm a typical guy. You know the one thing different is the state of your mind. I'm like, oh my my, someone throw me a rope. I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float. You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that she wrote. But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope. Cause you know that that embodied that's what go with the flow I can sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your clothes This should be coming down by now, but I won't Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.